0: Good pals podcast with Matt Stock and Zach Stevens.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode four of the Good Pals Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stock. It's a lovely Monday afternoon in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. New podcast day. And as always, I'm up in the lab on Lagoon with my producer and co-host and my good pal, Mr. Zachary Stevens. Stevens. What's up, up Matty? How are you? I'm doing well. It's a nice day today. I've got a lot going on. Pretty full plate. Um, I'm excited about the podcast. As always, we've been getting lots of tremendous feedback from our growing base of followers. Lots of unique downloads going on, and past our hundredth uh, our hundredth follower on Instagram. Um, the momentum's nice, and it's nice for us to hear compliments about it. Um, but it's not all good news in the world of the Good Pals Podcast, is it?
0: No, last night was rather troublesome.
1: Tragedy has befallen. The Good Pals Podcast. Uh,
0: it's every podcaster's worst nightmare. What happened? Uh, we got about forty-seven minutes into an awesome episode. We were cooking, <laughs> and uh, the power went out. We lost all of the episode last night. Thirteen
1: That's- minutes from the finish line, where we were maybe recording the most profound podcast episode of all time.
0: Right. Um, yeah, it was one of our one of our better ones for sure.
1: I mean, I think you know, I think we were doing fine. You were very upset about the situation.
0: Yeah, it got to me. But it wasn't our
1: fault. You see, like now, if there had been, if you had fucked up or something, I would understand you being hard on yourself. But there's no need to because it was just a, a freakish electoral situation here in the apartment.
0: Yeah, but I think we figured it out. We got down to the core of the issue. I don't I think we'll ever out. run into it again. As a former
1: resident of this very apartment, I was able to use my superior mind to troubleshoot the situation,
0: <laughs> and we're
1: now back in business. Exactly. And we're ready to cook once
0: again. And we're cooking.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we have some great stuff to talk about today um, Our primary focus on today's episode is a new limited series on HBO called The Last of Us A highly anticipated uh, HBO miniseries And uh, it's sort of a um, you know a zombie slash post-apocalyptic drama That we're going to discuss in some detail But uh, something that we've been working with on the first few episodes is We sometimes will start off with a few things that have caught our attention A few things we've checked out That we thought maybe you guys should check out too and um, this, 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 the thing that I want to talk about today, or the movie that I want to talk about today, it's kind of interesting to me that... I'm glad I got this extra 12 hours or whatever because the news cycle is always rapidly developing. And I'm going to talk about a nasty, fun little horror movie called Megan that was released two weeks ago and has become a bit of a box office sensation. This is a movie from Blumhouse Productions. Uh, Blumhouse is a... Uh, a subset of universal pictures. They specialize in horror films and they have been really successful over the past. geez, I don't know, like 10 years.
0: They have amazing horror movies.
1: Yeah. Um, and they, what their, their thing is, um, they do it on the cheap budgetary from a budgetary standpoint. The films are low budget, but they still look good and the material is good enough that they tend to get good actors to take part in them. So what are the, what are the big flicks that, that, um, Blumhouse is known for?
0: Um I believe they're known for um insidious those movies uh the yes. conjuring the
1: conjuring series which has turned into a bit of a cinematic universe.
0: Annabelle, The correct? Nun,
1: yeah, The Nun too. So I mean these are these are offshoots and um they've got some in-house like they've got some in-house hired hands that work with them and um there's a great great and very bizarre movie they put out last year called Malignant. Yeah. That was a really um Maybe slightly, slightly can't be extremely gory, over the top, like horror action film, slash detective movie. And um, the gal that wrote the movie Insidious has written this new movie called Megan. And it's another entry, uh, not to oversimplify it, it's another entry in the killer doll genre of horror films. But Megan's a bit different from other dolls, and that um, there's sort of like a bit of a Terminator ish vibe to this movie, too. <laughs> Megan is the story. <laughs> Of a uh, toy creator who is played here by Allison Williams of uh, of Get Out fame, and um, she's had some she's had some a great deal of exp- of, of success, you know, creating there's sort of like a Furby like uh, toys called Perpetual Pets with a Z, so you know it's for kids, Pets with a Z, yeah. And um, through a through a series of unfortunate circumstances, um, she comes into custody of her niece after a car accident where her sister and brother in law are killed. And um, this gal is not really in the position to be a godmother or a stepmom. She's not really prepared for this. But what she is prepared for is she's getting her to release a toy that she thinks is going to change the toy business forever. And it is a four-foot-tall animatronic AI-programmed doll called Megan. And uh, Megan is a very interesting toy because uh, the toy Megan is it's going to be a $10,000 toy. That's the price tag on it. Which I found interesting, because in real life, I feel like this toy would cost $100,000. Yeah. But um, Megan is cool, because it's, uh, you know, like all AIs, which is a hot topic in the news right now, it learns and teaches itself at a highly accelerated pace. So the uh, Allison William character is happy, because she's having a very hard time uh, relating to this kid. In fact, she doesn't, I mean, not to sound shitty, but she, she's, kind of a, she's kind of a shitty person. She's a shitty mom. She does not want to deal with this kid.
0: She's got bigger fish to fry in the tech in the tech game. She, she
1: does exactly. She's an up and comer, so she's like, "Well, this is perfect because I need to beta test of this doll, so I'm going to use Megan to basically take this kid off my hands because when you when you when you acquire the doll, you imprint yourself on it and you become its primary user. Oh wow! Megan's prime directive is to take care of the niece Katie, and that's exactly what she does. And what goes wrong when we, when man tempers with technology that it doesn't completely understand?
0: Uh shit hits the fan.
1: The shit hits the fan, and uh, Megan is, uh, is of course very protective of this child. Megan is a uh, ex- kind of extraordinary. It's, she's mostly she's mostly practical effects, and it really comes across in the performance by a, um, a young lady, twelve years old, a New Zealander. Amy Donald is her name. She is a uh, she's a dancer. She's a champion uh, martial artist and a contortionist. Lots of talent. So she brings this doll to life. There's a voice actor that does the voice individually. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But, you know, in all these horror movies, Blum, especially in Blumhouse movies, let's talk about creepy characters moving erratically.
0: Yeah. the I, I hate when uh, in a scary movie something contorts or twitches. and um
1: The ring effect.
0: Yeah. The ring's a huge one.
1: Megan can do some weird shit, guys. Um now, this movie went viral on TikTok because of a scene of her dancing <laughs> and doing some karate. Uh, so the dancing is somewhat reminiscent of Thriller, and I don't think that's an accident that that happens. But um, it's, a, it's a very amusing scene, and it caught people's eye, and the, the, the marketing campaign goes viral. Megan's made for $10 million, maybe 12 tops, I think. Tops the U.S. box office, $30 million its first week. And we just looked up the box office minutes ago to see, I said, let's see how Megan's doing because we're about to talk about it. And where's Megan standing right now, globally, in the box office? $90 million. $90 million. This is absolutely insane. This is one of the biggest viral hits in uh, in recent history that I can think of as far as films go. And uh, it doesn't surprise me because it's a word of mouth thing. I had no intentions of seeing this fucking movie at all. Because, I mean, I like the Blumhouse movies. Okay, sure, when it comes on cable, I'll watch it, I'll stream it. But several people who's... Opinions I respect. They really dig horror came to me and said, You have to check out Megan. Megan. And uh it was worth it. I had a blast with it. It was a fun, it's a short movie, you know. We always are we're always here talking about movie lengths and you know, it clocks in a little bit over ninety minutes.
0: We love a quick movie.
1: Yeah, and this movie, like I said, it's nasty and um and it's funny and it does it, it it eventually evolves into a horror film. But, you know, there are there's gray there's a, there's gray areas because You know, this Megan is uh, maybe supposed to be the villain, but she's really doing only what she's told to do.
0: Yeah, what she's programmed to do. And
1: she's the smartest person in the room. You know, she's ahead of the game. And a lot of the things she says is like, oh, well, this sort of makes sense. (laughs) A sympathetic villain, to say the least. And I think a new star of the screen, like once this much money gets made, whether the movie's good or not, we're going to see Megan again.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's probably going to happen pretty quickly. So I think it's can't, great. Can't make that much money and not try I, yeah. again.
1: I feel like, uh, you know, one thing, I, what I would like to see is, I, I hope they make it, you know, there's there are a lot of, and especially in the in the final act of this film, there's a lot of similarities to the Terminator. Um, wow. Due to Megan being a mechanical, you know, a, a mechanical, you know, robotic killing machine. Yeah. Uh, she sort of goes into that mode for better or worse. But, you know, when they do Megan 2, I want it to be like, uh Megan Two Judgment Day. <laughs> where like, you know, obviously what happens is, you know, the toy business goes on. This Allison Williams, you know, bitchy inventor character is probably always gonna be looking to grab the next brass ring. And I think she should invent like some other like even more far out like robotic creation perhaps animals perhaps yeah. humans perhaps full-sized
0: I mean they have a plethora of things they can perhaps take full-sized
1: this time. dolls and I, then I want that and then I want that AI and tech to run out of control and there's really only one person that can save us from this new dangerous advanced tech and that's going to be Megan
0: oh gotcha yeah wow. I think that's gonna be the
1: vibe people love the character so much I don't see her coming back as a sinister uh, as a sinister character I see her coming back as a good guy
0: I have a question for you yeah do you think As far as genres go, do you think the horror genre takes the cake for um, movies that were low-budget and popped off at the box office? Yes. You think? Okay. Yeah,
1: well, the blueprint there is, well, there's a lot. The first one that I can think of, uh, probably, yeah, well, Blair Witch in in recent era, Blair Witch was, I mean, that was completely insane. That was something that was $1 million that made hundreds of millions of dollars. But in the past, there have been many uh, movies like Night of the Living Dead, the original, the George Romero, uh, go figure, zombies. Yeah, Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween was a big one. That was um, that was very inexpensive and became a massive, a massive Ooh, sensation. Even
0: my favorite, Toby Hooper's uh, Texas Chainsaw, was a cheap, Ooh. cheapish movie.
1: Yes, it was, and I mean these are still movies that you can you can put in the theater a couple times a year and still have a bunch of people come out. You know, and we were doing when we were doing, uh, we were doing uh, some repertory over at the Caligny Theater, I uh, showed Halloween every Halloween, and lots of people came out, including a local six foot five tall man who dressed as Michael Myers. <laughs>
0: Very shout out to bear. Yeah.
1: Bear Delahunt alpha nerd of the low country bear. I hope you're listening to the podcast. He'd be a great future guest. Absolutely. Guys. Megan is a dope, fun, funny movie. Um, so if you're looking to maybe just put your brain on the shelf and not have to overthink something and go out and have a good time at the movies, go check out Megan. It's going to be in the theaters for a long time because it's making a shitload of money and deservedly. So nice, uh, nice fun concept pulled off by a a good group of filmmakers here. Um, something you watched recently that I want to talk about because it's uh, been generating a lot of critical, and now we're in award season, award season buzz. And this is a situation where, like with the menu, had a theatrical run and has been fast-tracked to HBO Max. What movie are we talking about?
0: Uh, We're talking about The Banshees of Innis The
1: Banshees of Innis Interesting title. Doesn't exactly flow off the tongue.
0: No, it doesn't. I didn't know how to say the word until I watched the movie and they said it.
1: I didn't know how to say it either, (laughs) so that's why I give you the lead on it. Like it's the Banshees of something something. What is well, it again, in- Stevens?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Banshees of Ineshearn. Well, Ineshearin's not a real place. It's a it's a fictional island kind of in this early nineteen uh, hundreds uh period and it uh takes place during a civil war between um I guess it'd be like the the I it's in Ireland, I don't know what you I think the IRA or something to that effect. No, you know they're
1: always fighting about something over there. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> okay. No, Irish be fighting. <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> the movie stars uh Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, um Carey Condon, and um Barry Keegan who uh kind of steals the screen in this one but um a lot um unlike Megan this movie is um it's 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 kind of a slow burn. It's one that you really have to like hone into and uh care about at times. How would you categorize this film because it seems like some people are having a hard time. Is it a comedy? Is it a, it a drama? It's a, it's like a it's a dark comedy to a certain okay. but I would lean heavily more into drama for this flick. I'm all
1: for this like dark comedy sort of, um, you know, renaissance is happening. I mean, we talked about that with the menu last week. Megan falls in that, you know, um, under that umbrella to a certain extent. It sounds like this does too. But you got a, a trio, a trio at the head of this. It's the director, Martin McDonough, and your two leads played by uh, Colin Farrell, who's always good, and the wonderful Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Tell me about these guys.
0: Um, Their careers are in the flick. What's up? Their careers are in this film? In the movie, in the plot, oh, in of, fl- in the okay, plot okay. of the film, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the general plot of the film um, follows uh, Padrick, who is played by Colin Farrell, and um, he leaves his house in the morning to go find his friend Colm, or Colm who's played by Brendan Gleeson, and they uh, they head to the pub every day. Yeah. Every day of their lives on this island is um, a bit of banter at the pub. <laughs> and uh, and um, he goes there to find his friend is not home. He's already at the pub without him. And he gets there, and he's basically told to, to the effect of, uh, I don't want to be your friend anymore, uh, by Brennan Gleeson's character. And uh, Podrick is kind of left in shambles. He's like, what the fuck did I do, man? He takes it really hard, from what I understand. Extremely hard. And uh, you kind of get to find out that, you know, Brennan Gleeson, this is a small island, but he's kind of the thinking man of the island. He um, He's a musician, he's a poet, and he's an older fella, so um, the years are creeping up on him. But um, <laughs> his friend, Podrick, is kind of the town not the town's fool, but kind of just like your everyday average Joe. And I think what Brendan Gleeson is finding himself in is a period in his life where he's like, I don't really want to, you know, spend my last days here talking about nothingness. I think at one point he says, yesterday you spent two hours talking about your donkey's shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know. Same
1: people, same bar, same stories. And we know,
0: we know a bit about that, don't we?
1: We know a lot about it. I just sort of—I think I—I I, I don't know what the reverse of goosebumps is, but I, I think I got a feeling of existential dread just from your synopsis <laughs> of this film. Because I never spend any time in a bar hearing the same stories over and over by people. again. Yeah, and I fancy myself a bit of a thinking man too.
0: But also, this yet morning. also
1: an average Joe. Oh,
0: maybe a bit of both. Well, maybe that's why you're not as conflicted as these characters.
1: Yeah, they do seem
0: very conflicted. They are. And great, great buzz on the supporting characters here. Yes, uh, so Colin Farrell's uh, character, Padraig, his sister, Siobhan, which one of my favorite names ever from Succession, Siobhan. Yeah. Siobhan, is played by uh, Carrie Condon, and she's wonderful in it. Can you give
1: it. me a little more background on Carrie Condon? When we recorded
0: last night, we didn't talk much about her. Um, I know But she, was, she has a
1: lot of hype around her.
0: Well, I know she was like one of the very first, um, or she's one of the youngest actresses, actresses to kind of be accepted into like this Shakespearean theater guild in England. Okay. Right? So... But she was in um, she uh she was in Ray Donovan. She was in um, Better Call Saul. She has a uh, she has some big. Uh, she was in three Billboard's outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which is a huge.
1: That's another McDonough film that was yeah. really successful. Awesome yeah.
0: movie. So, but um, yeah, she's just like your perfect go-to drama, gonna deliver like rich dialogue actress. And
1: Barry Keegan, we know as by and large being a weirdo. In a lot of films. He's got something very menacing about his performances. Um, probably most known for um, a movie called The Killing of a Sacred Deer yeah. with Colin Farrell, where he was an absolutely terrifying young adult.
0: Um, you know what's funny, though? In this flick, he's so harmless. And he's and he's just, he's uh, he is the town fool in this flick. And um, he's like such a sweet nature, just dumb boy. And he. Plays it perfectly.
1: It's nice to see him uh, because it's very clear that the kid's a good actor. Yeah. Um, and I just I've, I've seen him in these these things where he's where he's so strange. He was in a he was actually decent. He was one of the only good things about Eternals. <laughs> yeah. Marvel's biggest failure uh, so far, as far as you know, overall reception, and uh, most notoriously recently, uh, plays the Joker in the new Batman films, which are directed by Matt Reeves. He had a very uh, small. Appearance in shadow at the end of the Batman, but there was a deleted scene of the Batman going to see him in jail.
0: Yeah, with this creepy, grimy, gross Joker.
1: Yeah, really gross. Like, beyond, he makes Heath Ledger look like a handsome double Joker. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> to me, the jury is out on the Barry Keegan Joker, but... You know, it's um.
0: Um, I could have lived without the deleted scene, and it's just I, I honestly could live without the Joker for maybe five or six years. Yeah, but that's just me.
1: Yeah. Now, when I heard that he was going to be playing the Joker, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then when I saw it, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's not just the wheels don't all click into place. Yeah. But we're going from a small sample set. It was one scene, but I'm cool that he gets to show a little bit of range in this. And um, it's a um, so this is a friendship drama. It's a movie about pals. Absolutely. And uh, you highly recommend it. And I, I have to check it out.
0: I do, yeah. So uh, if you want to check out uh, The Banshees of Innes Sheeran, I, I believe it's going to be a massive success at awards and um, throughout the year, and uh, it's on HBO Max. So uh, get it from a friend, or if you got it, check it out. It's a great flick.
1: Well, speaking of HBO Max, the main event that we're talking about today is a—and uh, it is an event. This is something that HBO has been hyping for at least a year. Long as far time. as I could tell, with teaser trailers and then— an, Gradually showing little bits and pieces, and this is a mini-series entitled The Last of Us. And The Last of Us is IP, Stevens, which is what?
0: Intellectual property.
1: Intellectual property, yes. See, you did your homework, bud. We talked about intellectual property before. It's a pre-existing form of entertainment, and it could be a book. could be comic books. could be toys. But in this
0: case, it is a video game.
1: A video game. Uh, A genre of IP... That is not often successful when translated to the big screen or the small screen.
0: No, actually, I saw a funny tweet today. Uh, there's so much uh, awesome praise for this. Yeah, this show, The Last of Us, already. And uh, someone goes, uh, "Me when they gave us this awesome Last of Us, and then I got Mark Wahlberg for Uncharted, <laughs> 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 which is yeah, another see, great game. And
1: then some, there's there's some action movies that I don't even realize were like that that were drawn from video games, like Uncharted. Um, I didn't even realize that was a video game. So yeah. not a big, I'm not a big gamer guy. Yeah. Like what okay. we when we talked about super like uh, video game movies, I was like, oh yeah, there was a Super Mario Brothers movie
0: back in like 1988. And I, I shit on the way that you say Mario.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <God> <laughs> he, he says Mario.
1: Guys, I've been trying to train myself here in the low country. Every time I have to say the word Mario, <laughs> I say it Mario, and I think that's you know, that's the way that we used to say it. Back in the day in Philly. <laughs> going
0: down to but Mario's. It's
1: a, yeah, yeah, for real. Um, but Mar- Super Mario Brothers, an unmitigated box office disaster back in the 80s. And uh, something that, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about down the line. Because there is another Mario movie coming down the line that uh, the nerds seem to be pretty excited about. So it's something that we'll we'll, we'll talk about later. The Last but, of Us, Stevens, I feel like was a groundbreaking video game this is your sort of your specialty this is your department tell us about the history of the last of us
0: yeah so this uh this game came out in 2013 it's a um it's what they call a playstation exclusive you can only get it if you bought the ps3 or the ps4 at the time and um i mean this game just immediately from the jump had fans hooked i mean i had one friend i remember at the time he played the game before me he told me I've never cried to a movie, to music, to anything the way I just cried to the end of The Last of Us.
1: Yeah, my extent of, my extent of knowledge about The Last of Us is based solely on memes that I've seen over the years, uh, especially more recently as the show approaches about this being. It'll show like, I guess, probably a, a still from a cut scene or something and be like, if you know, you know, or like, this ruined my childhood or... The first time, like you said, the first time I cried playing a a video game or whatever. So this is heavy material.
0: Well, yeah. And another thing I I failed to mention uh, last night before we were rudely interrupted by our power mishap. Stupid lamp. (laughs) Uh, This game has an awesome depiction of female characters. And I guess there hasn't really been like this badass female gaming lead like Ellie since Larcroft's Tome Raider. Yeah. So uh, this game kind of, you know, broke that mold again and um, people loved it for that.
1: And I think those kind of things contribute. I think, I think Tomb Raider was one of the first, but I know a lot of female gamers. I don't think, you know, the, the any, you know, the, the theory of, you know, your gamer guys being a bunch of like nerds and guys playing, you know, Nintendo in their mom's basement, which is what it used to be for a long time. <laughs> that's, that's been shattered. And, then, yeah. and I also understand there is a sort of toxic element of the male gaming community as well.
0: Absolutely. But
1: so many females dig, lots of our good friends and lots of our listeners. I know. Are gamers and they're probably familiar with this game
0: yeah for
1: sure. so uh, hbo gets their hands on this property and turns it into a very massive undertaking this is a post-apocalyptic thriller it does involve zombie-like creatures and i like the way they started out with the preamble to the movie so instead of having a bunch of scenes of people a couple talking heads going back and forth uh characters doing a sp- expository dialogue that's going to explain the, the plot of the film they frame it in a talk show in 1968, yeah, where a few scientists are talking about uh, pandemics and viral spread, and one of the scientists gets into discussing a particular fungus.
0: Yeah, not to mention this interview uh, on this talk show starts off very lighthearted. Yeah, and um, yeah, quickly goes dramatic. You know,
1: and so only it's probably probably about 90 seconds of lightheartedness. I feel like that's probably only only lightheartedness that we're gonna see.
0: In the show. Over the course of this
1: show. So (laughs) laugh it up in the first two minutes, guys. But uh, the scientist goes on to talk about a fungus that can infect a host. Um, It's it's a popular insect. I've actually heard about this bug before, the zombie bug or whatever. Um, The fungus infects the body. It kills the brain. It keeps the body animated and not decomposing. And its sole reason for survival is to expand the infection or the hosting of this fungus. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. What's the name of this virus? Uh, It's called Cordyceps. In a, in a, yeah. Cordyceps. This shit is not cool. At all.
0: Not even a little bit.
1: So, um, like a lot of the more superior um, zombie properties, some of which we're going to talk about later, this thing, oh, it builds very ominously.
0: Yeah, sure does. We're
1: introduced to the lead characters right off the bat.
0: Yeah, Joel and his daughter.
1: Yeah, Joel, played by Pedro Pascal. Who is like the guy in Hollywood right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm and I'm in love with him in this role. Yeah, he's... um he's but, very fatherly, very uh, kind of like this like tactical ex-military uh, mili- kind of guy, and he just he kicks ass. In this
1: where role. else have people seen Pedro before?
0: Uh, they, they've seen him in uh, Narcos. They've seen him in uh, The Mandalorian. I guess yeah. we haven't really seen him but twice in The Mandalorian. But yeah, he's, he's he, is the, he is the total
1: character of, of, of The Mandalorian. And he speaks, and that's a, he's, that's a role where he's got a fucking helmet on, and he's speaking through a voice modifier, and he's still great.
0: You know, pretty oh, yeah. fatherly
1: in that too with Grogu, <laughs> Baby Yoda.
0: I, yeah, and uh, I guess that's also um, kind of a. Or we'll, we'll get to that with Ellie, and he has kind. He kind of has to undertake this thing that he didn't plan to be a part of, in uh, I guess the same way with Grogu. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. So what what happens with the arrival of Cordyceps? Did I say that correctly? Cordyceps. Yeah, the cordyceps fungus. The oh. cordyceps fungus is. We've got a nice neighborhood. Um, this guy's got a, a, a cool, funny daughter, uh, brother, wacky brother-in-law. You know, you get you get some good character development that shows you the, the love and the relationship between these people and the the familial vibe. Kindly kindly elderly neighbors, a dog,
0: everything butterflies,
1: you, and blue skies. Everything
0: you want in the suburbs, baby.
1: Yeah, until
0: until. Uh, and you know, you get little glimpses of it as the the show's introduced. You get on the radio, you hear something's happening in Jakarta. Yeah, you get uh, you know, you hear um, stores close early. Yeah, stores are closing early. I think it's like a uh, gosh, the the family was some um, kind of European of some European descent. She takes her dad's watch to get fixed to give. It's his birthday. We start the show on Joel's birthday. Yeah, she takes his watch to get fixed. Uh, the family that works at the watch, they're like European of European descent. They're getting calls from back home. Right. Close the fucking shop. Shit's going down. You got cop cars flying through the city, planes overhead. Sure. And uh, you just kind of, you have this building ominous intensity that, you know, shit's about to hit the fan.
1: And, um, and pretty soon it's clear that Cordyceps has landed in the neighborhood of our lead characters Mm -hmm. and a very harrowing scene follows of them trying to uh, to flee to flee their home, uh, we see the effects of what this virus is, and they're they're these people are basically zombies,
0: and they're fast zombies.
1: There are fast zombies. Uh, starts out with a creepy old lady fast zombie, which is that's like the perfect storm of um, of a zombie film, you know, either kid zombie or old lady zombie.
0: Yeah, and we get the the coolest uh, over the shoulder behind the back shot of uh, Joel's daughter. When you have this old lady just contorting and twitching in her chair, yeah, man. And you know, I think I think
1: it got her. And it's <laughs> it's just, I, you know, something bad is going to happen to some of these characters, and it sort of strings you along for a while. Yeah, it does until the, I'm like this is it. This is where it happens. This is it. This is where it happens.
0: I think you leaned it, over to me and said, happens. "They're so fucked." Yeah,
1: man. <laughs> like I had I had the ominous feeling, but it's really well done. It is. I mean, it's extremely well filmed. These actors are great. at you know, be but terror, terror, and survival mode. And all this stuff. And um, we'll just say what happens. I I, I want people to watch this. And I know a lot of people did watch it last night when it premiered. But without being too spoiler heavy, things go pretty badly for Joel and his family. And um, he's not going to rank it as one of his top five birthdays of all time. (laughs) I don't think so. No. Um, And once this, you know, a bit of a a bit of a, a bit of a really bad break for the family. And. The show goes twenty years ahead at this point into present day. Yep. And what's going on in America?
0: Um, well, Joel is now in Boston, and uh, the, the the cities of the United States have kind of been split into these total. total I can't say this word. Totalitarian. Totalitarian. Couldn't say it last night either. Attaboy. Uh, the quarantine zones and yeah. these like independent settlements where uh, just full control by the government and these militaries and um and Joel was there, kind of like working um these shitty offhand jobs to make a little bit of cash. Yeah. To kind of survive in the city.
1: Like dumping bodies into fires. Yeah. Um, Really bleak, uh, really bleak scenario. And you have, you know, authority, authority uh, run amok, you know, in the midst of a bad situation. Um, There's public hangings going on. Um, Things are not going well. And my curiosity about this is I was, I can't really help but be reminded of a very successful show that recently wrapped, uh, finished a long wrap on AMC, and that's The Walking Dead. So my thing with The Walking Dead, Stevens was I could never quite really grab onto it all the way. I watched a handful of episodes from varying seasons. Yeah, or, I think I
0: watched three or four. Or seasons. when, or when
1: a viral moment happened, you know, it's like okay, I'm going to go on YouTube and watch this.
0: And why couldn't you watch it, Matty? Why well, you-
1: what happened was like I would be on social media on a Sunday night, and I'd see my friends posting something like. Uh, no with a bunch <laughs> of those, or why why like life is unfair how could you do this blah 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 and I, the first few times i saw these posts i get nervous and i'd be like whoa what's going on or shoot someone a text and is keith richards dead yeah exactly where's keith okay <laughs> is keith okay Is kurt russell okay <laughs> but uh text people are like send them a dm be like what's going on they'd be like well don't you watch the walking dead i'd be like i don't but these were always related to, like, major character deaths on The Walking Dead, which were always very gross and sudden, and people had grown an attachment to these characters. The Walking Dead was just bad news all the time, and it was too bleak for me to really get into. I need to have a little bit of levity.
0: Yeah, And no in, in
1: horror. I can't just have a, a constant, you know, just just bashing of your emotions. And I feel like that's kind of what The Walking Dead did, but it still resonated with people.
0: Um, and they loved it. So dark at times that there was a specific scene in, um, I believe, season three or four where some fans quit the show. The
1: introduction the introduction of uh, Negan, a character played by the great Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and his bat Lucille, a barbed wire wrapped bat.
0: Which we have seen before in zombie flicks.
1: Sure. Always an effective zombie color because it knocks the bust that head right open.
0: See, I prefer the uh, the cricket bat from Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, the
1: Cricket Wicket, for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, also, we learned from The Walking Dead that the baseball bat with barbed wire is effective at uh, smashing human heads open, too.
0: It is. That's when we lose uh, Stephen Yoon's character, Mr. Glenn.
1: Yeah, the most one of the most loved characters on the show, dispatched in the most graphic fashion probably ever shown on television. Absolutely. And a lot of people said, I'm out.
0: They said, fuck this show, man. Yeah. There ain't no joy in this shit.
1: His eyeball popped out. Ooh. His eyeball popped
0: out. Yeah, one of the first head smashes we get. Would you? <laughs> there's a, uh, without, like I said, without getting too spoiler heavy, there's a pretty action, pretty rough action sequence in The Last of Us. And I think you go at one point face pudding. Yeah, face pudding. <laughs> so um, we're in
1: Boston. I mean, not to get off, but the, my, my concern is the reason I wanted to talk about The Walking Dead, and I think it's popular a lot in the genre, is that, um, some strike a balance between having some humor. And some warmth to them, and some do not. And I don't think The Walking Dead had that, and that's why it wasn't my thing. I think The Last of Us is going to be different, though. And I think a lot of that is going to be because of the co lead character.
0: Yeah, Bella Ramsey.
1: Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones, Game
0: of Thrones. She was Lady Mormont. Yeah, and the last time her and uh, Pedro worked together was on Game of Thrones. Pedro played uh, Ober and Tyrell, the Sand Snake. Yes. Yeah, you said the greatest
1: warrior, uh, arguably, in Game of Thrones history.
0: Yeah, it's it's debated, but um, I mean, he kicked the mountain's ass. So
1: almost hey, kicked the mountain's ass. Come on, but he started. He started. Uh, he started um roostering a little bit. He was showing off a little bit.
0: That's another face pudding scene in on a flick. Yeah, <laughs> or on a show rather. Yeah, head pudding. Yeah. Oof.
1: Yeah, another. There's a lot of head bashing going on. Pedro Pascal, the Sand Snake, got his head crushed by the mountain. Yes. In a Game of Thrones duel. And the end of a beloved character. So, Pedro uh, and and Bella Ramsey, an actress I love. So, I wasn't sure who she was. I asked you who who she was, and you said there was a bit of a controversy about her being cast in this role. But when you told me she was Lady Mormont from Game of Thrones, for you guys that uh, you may know her, you big Thrones fans, and if you're a casual Thrones fan, you'll remember as the little girl who was like a sort of princess or ruler of a certain house.
0: Yeah, the Mormonts on the Bear Islands.
1: And she was a little baddie. She was a fucking lady boss, yeah.
0: She single-handedly fucked up a giant.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) she went toe-to-toe with the giant sort of like you know like uh, like Pedro with the mountain but this girl is a central character she's the she's the plot device that is going to drive the story of the last of us and why is that
0: um because she is uh affected but not affected by the cordyceps virus she is contracted
1: the, she has contracted the cordyceps fungus but has not become a zombie
0: yes mo- it says uh, most people, Turn in less than a day. Yeah. And she has had uh, been carrying this fungus in her blood or under her skin for close to three weeks, I think they said.
1: For three weeks. Yeah. So we have a group of people here in Boston that kept, you know, the the counter to the police, to the authorities that are called the Fireflies. They're a militia. And uh, they seem pretty well organized. They have some tough leadership. And what they need to do is get. Ellie. Out of Boston,
0: yeah, she's uh she's worth worth something something to them, and I think they're trying to get her west. But um, shit kind of hits the fan for those resistant leaders.
1: It does, but they do realize that there's one man for the job. That's Pedro. Yeah, Joel. yeah, it's Joel, uh, who is obviously you know he's his life was destroyed, you know, so he's a really quiet, really solemn sort of guy. Um, I think what we're gonna what we're gonna see, is like people that play the game know what's gonna happen. And you said that this hewed very closely to the game to the beginning of the game, the first hour of this show.
0: Yeah, I think the cutscenes and um, even uh, stuff like set design and clothing are just like to a T the same yeah. as the game. So,
1: do you think that filmmakers feel pressured to hew closely to source material and to to avoid the wrath of nerds?
0: Um, yes, and um, I think. I think when you don't, oh, here's what I'll say. I think when the source material is so good, yeah, you should stick with it. Yeah, we saw that with Game of Thrones when when George R. R. Martin couldn't keep up with the books and the show couldn't keep, you know, had to move on without him. That's when that show fell off. It suffered a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I think the HBO producers and directors would be wise to stick with The Last of Us because nobody has any qualms with that show or that game, rather. We're so we're gonna what we're gonna have is we're gonna have Joel
1: and Ellie uh, trying to escape Boston which they're basically just about to do as the first episode wraps. And what I want to see, and obviously I think what, what's going to happen is this is his second chance at being a father. Exactly. He has a young girl in this charge who is very confident, very intelligent, uh, very much like his daughter, who we meet in, early in the beginning of the show. Um, so these two characters are going on an odyssey. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't wait to see what happens. Okay. I'm in. It's The Last of Us, a very well-made uh, show that just premiered on HBO Max and is going to be on for, I think, the next eight to ten weeks.
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, nine episodes is what it's going nine to be. Nine episodes, yeah. so And you liked it, too. I loved it. Yeah. And I think you and I were both saying, um, you know, in a, these kind of cross-country treks in a post-apocalyptic world, it's not... Typically, the monsters that give you the most problems—it's the other shitty fucking people. Yeah, I think you just, said a, you said a beautiful quote. It's not the monsters, it's the, but it's the monsters. Uh,
1: yeah, it's a central it's a central thematic element of this genre is we're the monsters.
0: Yeah, and we are.
1: Adversity brings out the monsters in us, and I, that's you know that was a Walking Dead thing, and you see it in a lot of zombie movies. Um, the we humans seem to turn on each other.
0: Yeah, but um, we love and the you, episode, now. and you have to
1: wonder—it's probably the way it would go down in real life too. And that's partially survival instinct. <laughs> and um, I don't
0: think we'd get far enough, you and I, to realize how people end up acting.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. There's another thing. I'm I'm here to fully admit that, you know, I don't have a zombie for survival plan like a lot of people out there do. Like, oh, I need—I oh, give me this weapon. Give me this. Uh, you know, well, here in South Carolina, they probably say, "Oh, I just need an AR and my buddies, and I'll be fine." <laughs> But
0: uh, you know, I always like the shotgun. You know, I think the shotgun is a. Is a See, I'm more of a. Gun. I'm in zombie flicks. I'm a melee guy. I want to. Wa- I want to whack a zombie over the head. Well, the
1: problem is, in the past, in a zombie film, someone who's well armed and confident could walk into a pack of, let's say, twenty zombies, yeah, and kill them with well executed edge uh, headshots or machete to the head or yeah. chop the head off. You know, maybe set a little fire to it. Fire not, always works. Not
0: these zombies, though. No, and it's
1: because of the introduction of fast zombies to the zombie genre. One of the most controversial things that ever happened in zombie films. And it all comes from one film. As we segue into our discussion topic today, post-apocalyptic slash zombie movies. The ones we love. Yeah. And there's one that you and I both love, and it's the number one one we're going to talk about today. What is it, bud?
0: Uh, 28 Days Later.
1: Ooh, 28 Days Later. Fucking shit intensity in ten cities this movie is crazy
0: yeah um i mean it kind of broke the mold for uh the fast you know uh twitchy scary zombie and um just i mean the rage the, virus yeah the rage virus yeah so uh, we discussed this um we we've, we've talked
1: about this movie in the past on several occasions when we're just hanging out being nerds so it's cool to bring it to the podcast. I had an emotional meltdown watching this movie, or maybe a couple.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually I only saw this movie three or four years ago, but I believe you said you saw it in theaters, right?
1: Uh, no, no, it was, oh. a, it was a solo. It was a solo watch at home. I think I, I think I blockbusted it, pal. Wow, that's
0: yeah, awesome.
1: I think I acquired it at Blockbuster on DVD on VHS, not on VHS, not that old, pretty old, not that old. I scored twenty eight <laughs> days later. I'm very excited about it. The movie uh, ended up being sort of a. Uh, an underground hit, you know, much like what we talked about with Megan 28 Days Later is the same thing. Uh, the great director, Danny Boyle, was coming off of uh, Train Spotting, and I think another not so successful film called A Life Less Ordinary. And yeah. this was his next project.
0: And this movie wasn't very expensive to make either. No. And ended up crushing.
1: So I acquired 28 Days Later, the blockbuster. I went home to watch it. I, I got really high. I smoked a lot of dope before I watched this movie. This is back in the days when I used to be able to enjoy marijuana. I miss you so much. (laughs) Uh, I I got nice and roasted. Get comfy on the couch, you know, watch this movie. And the beginning of it is our lead character, Jim, played by Killian Murphy, of Peaky Blinders. The show that everybody on the planet but me loves. Coming out of a coma in a hospital. I love it. Yeah, everyone loves it, I know. Peaky (laughs) Blinders, it's great. Uh, (laughs) Joel wakes up from a coma in the hospital in London. And what's going on?
0: Uh... He's uh the last guy on earth, pretty much. Yeah, feels like it
1: as if he's the last man on earth. The score is really good during the scene. I don't know what kind of is it like. Is it electronic music or is
0: it? Dude, it's fucking music that gets your heart rate up and scares the shit out of you. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like this like metal EDM.
1: Yeah, and it and it escalates and escalates as Joel walks around London, does not see a single soul,
0: uh, and literally walks from the hospital. And many of you would recognize the shot of him kind of walking with Big Ben in the background. Yeah, over. um, the London Bridge, I believe it is, and uh, there's no one on the road, and it's pretty cool. Danny Boyle shot that shot early in the morning. He had an hour long window to nail this uh, scene, and um, had only had a couple days to do so before the London uh, police force was like, "Hey, man, you can't keep trying to shoot this shot." It's
1: hard to do that. That's like when they got to shoot something in a like Times Square. Exactly. You get like you know you get like okay this is when uh, Cameron Crowe made Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise. They need a scene of him. Like running through Times Square by himself, no cars, no nothing, completely empty Times Square. Wow. That's even tricky for Tom Cruise to pull off. Yeah. So Danny Boyle was definitely busting his ass trying to get this scene, but man, it
0: makes the movie for me. It does.
1: And, it's, setting up, and setting up the dread, like I was having a full-blown meltdown.
0: So much isolation at this time. And, uh, yeah.
1: Where does Joel travel to? Where's the first place he goes?
0: Um, to back to his parents' place.
1: Yeah, and this is this is a scene that really did me in. Like, this was just like a spiral, but I enjoyed it. I wasn't like, I didn't want to turn the movie you off. You
0: called him Joel, by the way, Jim.
1: Jim. <laughs> Jim, yeah. Jim was in a bicycle accident, head trauma, put him in a coma. He goes, the first place he thinks to go is, well, I, I got to go home, you know, yeah. as I think anyone would. And he finds his parents in bed, uh, deceased, with a, they have a uh, bottle of pills on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. So they, they, had, they did a suicide pact, and the note says... Uh, Jim, I'm quoting it indirectly. It says, "I think it says, Jim, you fell asleep, so we did too. Don't wake up." And I'm just like, "Oh fuck!" You know, like it's gonna get really bad here, and it doesn't take long to get bad because here come the fastest zombies ever seen in film history,
0: with a uh, glowing red eyes, right? With well, they're they're or full they're, of blood. Yeah, full of blood. Yeah, they're just
1: bleeding profusely out of their eyeballs. Ugh and running fast and eating people and they just come running right through. You know what they like to do? They like to crash through your windows.
0: Yeah. There's a mini crashing window scenes. I believe several at his parents' place. Yes. They're right off the rip.
1: Yeah. Um, And these, uh these rage virus zombies are, are, terrible. But what happens in 28 days later that I, that I love is as he acquires, you know, he meets some, he meets some friends, some of these friends with, um, I mean, there's one guy he meets probably for about 10 minutes before he gets bit by a zombie and, has to get killed with a machete like right in front of us. But um, that's because of that co-lead, Naomi Harris, is a real no-nonsense, someone who's been out here fighting these zombies for a long time, and she becomes Jim's partner, basically. And um, But as they travel on, obviously they see some bad stuff, but they get together with a father-daughter team. Uh, mm-hmm. Brendan Gleeson, aforementioned of the Banshees of what?
0: In a Sharon. In
1: a sh- <laughs> <laughs> Stevens gets these accents down cold, guys. I mean, the, this, this he's got a lot of tools in the box. He really does. Something the like Banshees of Inishurin, um plays a father and, and daughter team and then you have a family element and the movie gets, it has a little bit of a break where things get a little bit light.
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, that's why this movie's enjoyable at times. There's yes. A, there's a fun shopping scene where you know there's actually some smiles again in the world.
1: Yeah, it's like, and, and after what you've seen so far in the movie, it makes you just so happy to see these people having even a moment of joy yeah. in their lives, which is not easy to do in the middle of a fucking zombie apocalypse. Yeah, 28 Days Later,
0: Pantheon. Check it out.
1: One of the great ones, yeah.
0: It's kind of Killian Murphy's breakout role in a way as well, and I mean, look how how great his career is going. I mean, we got Oppenheimer coming out in July, and I mean, to, to, the scales of those two movies are just night and day, you know?
1: And I think, you know, we we made a list of a lot of movies to talk about, and I was intending, I'll, I'll, mention, it, I'll mention it briefly, but I'm a big fan of uh, Dawn of the Dead. I'm a big fan of both versions of Dawn of the Dead, the original by George Romero, which was filmed in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the Monroeville Mall where I went to college and uh, was sort of also a all all the Romero zombie films are a satire of something. Night of the Living Dead was a commentary on racism, 100 percent race in America. Uh, Dawn of the Dead was a commentary on consumerism in, in America and capitalism. And there's a 2004 remake by Zack Snyder, um, one of the first films he directed, and written by James Gunn, who now runs the DC Universe of films and has done some good work with Marvel that had a, uh, a cast of character actors that I was very fond of. And these were fast zombies, too. And um, it just uh, it's, 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 uh, and it's set, once again, in the shopping mall. But the Ving Rhames is here, Sarah Polly, a lot of like independent film actors. And in one of his first big breaks, Ty Burrell, who would go on to play the father in Modern Family, going completely against type as like a screaming, yuppie asshole. Like right. one of my favorite things is not Dawn of the Dead where they're like sitting around at the mall and he's talking to the lead character played by Sarah Pod. He's like, trust me, you know, if one of those things bite me, you have permission to take me out immediately. And she's like, oh, I will. <laughs> and then later in the movie, like he does get bitten by a zombie and he, fi- he comes upon her and she just, uh, she just ices him. I mean, she basically wants to shoot him in the head the whole movie anyway.
0: Fuck yeah. But then
1: he becomes a zombie. And she puts him down like a dog. And it's a very satisfying scene.
0: God, those are the worst scenes, though, when that's, like, the, the the middle phase, the turn that I'm turning into a zombie phase when you have no time to... Oh.
1: We're talking about poor Brandon Gleeson. Yeah. And 28 Days Later. Fuck. So fucking bad. Yeah. Sometimes, though someone that deserves it gets turned into a zombie and then you get to see them get their head blown off like our pal Ty Burrell in Dawn of the Dead. But we, so I I love that movie and I think if you want to see a, uh, another one that I think has contributed to the, to the modern, uh, you know, fast zombie style movie, um, I think it was a necessity just to advance the threat of that kind of creature, especially with its technology gets more modern, like, Oh, well, these things aren't much of a threat if they just shamble about. They can be dealt with systematically, so on and so forth. Even George Romero, the zombie master himself, was not happy about the slow zombies, but I just the the fast zombies. But I just don't think you can stop it. It's They're the way, way scarier,
0: you, and I mean they are scary. Calling back to the Last of Us, uh, there's kind of this opening sequence where you know once the city's kind of gone to shit, the zombie chases Joel and his daughter, and it just like pop, perks us up so fucking fast yeah. and so creepy and. You're just like,
1: fuck. And they can jump over things, and they sort of move. It's, almost, it's, it's animalistic.
0: Makes it a lot harder to survive. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but as far as apocalypse films goes, Zombie, one of the most popular preferred forms of apocalypse in yeah. cinema, but there are others. And um, a very interesting film that is a blind spot in my uh, cinematic resume, but is a favorite of yours that you brought up when we started talking about this is um, called Children of Men.
0: Yes, um, and I think I said last night it's in my top 20 of flicks and I was upset you hadn't seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I said I was going to watch it when I got home last night, but I did not. And how do you say the
0: uh, director's last name, man? Alfonso Cuaron.
1: Cuaron. Yes, uh, a very talented director. Um, he did some Harry Potter. Did he? I believe so,
0: yes. Punch him up. I gotcha. I'm um, not seeing any Potter. There's
1: Alfonso Cuaron, there's Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu, who directed Birdman, who I often confuse him with.
0: Oh, okay. Maybe he did.
1: So I may be getting them mixed up. But um, Alfonso Cuaron is a great director.
0: And I think this is his best movie.
1: So what's, what's going on in Children of Men? What brings about the apocalyptic scenario that's happening?
0: Yeah, so uh, in this one, unlike zombies, the, the world is riddled by infertility. The, the year's twenty twenty seven, and they can't a, make no babies. Women can't make no babies, man. Yeah, which, what's um, up? I don't know. I wish. Never mind. Um, Stop it. But, but anyway, <laughs> but anyways, the world is a uh, riddled riddled with infertility, and um, Stevens can't
1: make no babies.
0: Can't make no babies. But um, and it's uh kind of sent the world into madness. where uh we're set in uh, twenty twenty seven, London, and um. You know, similar to uh, The Last of Us, uh, people are kind of controlled by their military and by their government. You kind of have a number in this world now. And um, I think the movie starts with a uh, the youngest person left alive has just died, a person named Baby Diego. Baby Diego. And losing the youngest person left alive, I think he was 23 or so, was like a fucking na- global tragedy. Yeah. And, um, I mean, gosh, this movie, though, had, uh, just rapidly you know, snowballs into uh, Clive Owens character uh, comes upon the resistance. He um, has an ex love interest with a uh, Julianne Moore's character. We love Julianne Moore here at the good pals podcast. Yeah, we do. Anyone who's a cast member of Boogie Nights
1: is in the good pals hall of fame.
0: Yeah, for sure. Every single one of them. So uh, Julianne, Julianne Moore's character is uh, kind of now the, the leader of this underground resistance. And um, what they have found is a young woman who is pregnant the first pregnant girl in nearly uh, 20 years, or yes. 30 years or so. And, um,
1: she probably hung out with your dad. That's probably how she got pregnant.
0: <laughs> okay. They should have just consulted
1: the government. Should just consult Jason Stevens. If there is a population crisis and be yeah. like, how do you reproduce so prolifically? Can you help us? J. bird Stevens. <laughs> we got to leave
0: him out of the podcast <laughs> from here on out going forward. I heard that. No <laughs> more dad sex jokes. It's not going to happen, but, but anyways, nice try. Okay. Anyways, Clive <laughs> Owen's character, um, he kind of uh, has his hand forced into um, helping this young pregnant woman to safety. Very similar to the, the Last of Us. Yeah, very similar to Joel and Ellie's experience. And um, yeah, this movie grows, and there's a lot. You know, you might have seen um, scenes or shots of this on um, movie Instagram or movie TikTok, film TikTok, where uh, there's some awesome single shot sequences in this movie. Yeah, and uh,
1: that are still discussed and like have oh been studied. They kick ass, and like like I said, like I may not have seen the movie, but I've seen that scene a bunch of times. Yeah, you know, because it's just something I had to punch up on YouTube and be like, I got to see what everyone's talking about.
0: Yeah, and um, we get a, we get an awesome performance as well from uh, uh, Alojifor, Alojifor, yeah, a Cheeto uh Yeah, Tweedle Tweedle Age Four. Yeah, stumble stumble on that one, and uh, Michael Caine as well. So um. Some awesome actors in that. And <laughs> have you
1: worked on your Michael Caine impersonation at all? I
0: have not. you got to do that, man. I will. I'll get it down for when God, we uh, do it. A... So, it's
1: so funny. I love a good Michael Caine impersonation. I wish I could
0: do it for You're you. You're the brother.
1: man for the job, bud. You got it. You got I'll it. practice. Well, Michael Caine's always going to pop up here and there. As long as we're talking about Christopher Nolan movies and other stuff, you know, there will always be opportunities for further Michael Caine impersonations. I'll work on one, too. We'll see what happens.
0: Deal. Yeah, we'll have a Michael Caine off.
1: Yes. A Caine <laughs> off. Indeed. So, uh, Children of Men, uh, something i got to check out. And I look forward to discussing with you like further.
0: Please, if you're a if you're a, a fan of um, just intense fucking dramatic action movies, please watch Children of Men.
1: Yeah, my favorite. Well, this one's not my favorite, but
0: I think it's one that really sort of
1: uh, revitalized or kicked off the genre. And um, there's this has a lot to do with my preferences as far as acting and directing. But it's a film from 1980 called Escape from New York. This is directed by. John Carpenter, the legend, as stars a legend, my favorite actor, Kurt Russell, as Snake Plissken. What an action hero name. Snake is an ex-Special Forces guy. Uh, obviously, the literally the baddest hombre remaining in what exists of, you know, planet Earth. And he is brought in by the government, sprung from jail, brought in by the government to rescue... No less than the President of the United States, played here by Donald Pleasance, who has been kidnapped. Uh, New York City is uh, completely blocked off and is full of nothing but criminals and filth and bad, bad, bad people. Led by the Duke, played by none other than Isaac motherfucking Hayes of Superfly fame himself. Um, Snake is given an assignment. Well, they sneak up behind him and they put... um, a great line by Kurt Russell. They tell him, you know, he's got to go in there. We got to get the president. It's a matter of national security. He says, I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. And they reward that comment by sneaking up behind him and putting an explosive device in his neck. So they say, Well, now you have 24 hours to get the president out. Your head's going to blow up. <laughs> so Snake is already a very grouchy guy as it is. Now they got him really mad. Race against the clock. Mad as a snake, so to speak, Stephen. Do you see what I did there? I did. And um, Snake goes in there. To New York, and it is a gnarly scene. The, a lot of the fashion elements and design elements. I see you're looking at some. Uh, you're looking at some some scenes here from the film the trailer. Um, there's a lot of a punk rock sort of thing. I don't know why all of a sudden everyone has sort of punk rock clothes, makeup, uh, jewelry, mohawk stuff like this. You see this in so many of these films. It came from Escape from New York, um, and it's a really gnarly, raw action film made on a low budget. That became a sensation, and it launched Kurt Russell as more of a, you know, Kurt was a Disney actor, you know, as a teenager, he made a bunch of Disney films, and he did some comedy films in the 70s, like used cars, he what, did some...
0: Was he not in Carpenter's The Thing, or was this before that? Escape from New York was the start at all. Oh, wow. Escape okay. from New York okay. was the
1: father, that was Carpenter's first movie after Halloween. Oh, wow, okay, cool. And then they went on to do The Thing together, and then the third, there's a, there's a trilogy. Well, not a trilogy, but it's... Escape from New York, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Which yeah. I cannot start talking about right now because we'll be have a three-hour
0: episode. Yeah, we don't have the time for the that. Of the Good
1: Pals podcast. We'll hey. have a Big Trouble in Little China episode. And um, that is going to be a great day in my life. The podcasting day I've been looking for <laughs> forever. But it's Escape from New York. It's gnarly as fuck. I love it. And uh, it's worth checking out. But my favorite post-apocalyptic movie comes from, a, comes from a, a series of films. The cause of the apocalypse in this case is an energy slash fuel related crisis turns the world into a barren wasteland and I am talking about the Mad Max films directed by the great George Miller uh, an original trilogy of course starred Mel Gibson in his big break uh, Mad Max in the late 70s The Road Warrior in 1980 or 81 and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in 1984 where this guy is a bit of a nomad Max Rockatansky, former cop uh, loses his family uh, in pretty horrifying fashion in the first film and uh, just becomes a he becomes a he sort of roams the earth you know and sometimes he helps people uh, usually against his will this is a theme that we see in a lot of these movies, right yeah the lone hero like you're the only one who can save us exactly like these savior figures they never want to do it you know but I guess who would right like oh yeah sure I'll throw myself in a certain death scenario to help. <laughs> these children or whatever, but it's the kind of stuff that Max gets involved in all the time. And, um, there were very successful, uh, trilogy of films. And, uh, you know, this, this property just sort of went dormant and out of nowhere. Um, Jesus, what? 2015.
0: Um, yeah, 2015. This movie, this movie came out.
1: So th- about 30 years after, you know, that's like Top Gun length, about 30 years after Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, we get a movie called Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of my favorite films of all time. I think it is one of the most impressive so cinematic bad. achievements ever created. Max is back, but he is portrayed here by another, I think, Good Pals Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, Tom Hardy. Uh...
1: Tom Hardy. Great choice. Yes.
0: Another man from Peaky Blinders. Jesus fucking Peaky
1: Blinders. <laughs> so Tom Hardy... um, and, and I, like the, I like Tom Hardy for the choice because this is a largely nonverbal role. And I think no one no one can do... There are a few people that can do more with less than Tom Hardy. And he really delivers here as Max. And he's got a co-lead in Charlie Theron who is one of Hollywood's greatest actresses. Hands down. As a character named Furiosa who drives a war rig. She's a soldier. For a very bad dude named Mortan Joe, one of the creepiest most fucked up villains in like action film history. And Max gets abducted by Mortan Joe's uh, toadies. And he has a chance to get out with Furiosa, but Furiosa's got a mission. What is her mission, Stevens?
0: Um, lay it on me. I'm kind of drawing a blank on. Her here, mission so. <laughs> is to
1: liberate the, the sister wives the of Mortan yes, Joe. Yes, 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 yes. He's got a bunch of young women that he uses as breeding vessels. Um, and but, but there's a, there's a handful that they have the opportunity to liberate, and there's plenty more you know back at back at the base as well. But Mad Max is not even a parable. It's a it's a movie about it's a, it's a movie about women's um, sexual rights, reproductive rights, and um, very progressive women's lib film. And I think that sailed over the heads of maybe a lot of people that saw it. But as I said before, it's not even a subtext. It's the urtext of the movie. And this movie is a two-hour-long chase scene across the desert um, of just, well and it's all all practical special effects.
0: Yeah, 80% all real of the all
1: real stunts and some crazy characters along the way. All road warrior films have a bunch of really cool bad guys that stick out, you know. And this, I mean, this one's no exception. So you got you have Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy and all these beautiful girls in the war rig, and Nicholas Holt.
0: Yeah, As Tyler a, from the menu.
1: Tyler from the menu is a war boy, um, who has a really nice character arc. Yeah. In this, um, that's where he sort of understands it. He he understands the oppression that his boss is putting these people through and um, you know, decides to decides to help out.
0: When the first time I saw this movie what stood out to me is uh on the the villain's uh kind of posse or uh caravan of cars and big rigs and trucks, there is a guitar player strapped to the front of an eighteen wheeler. Playing a guitar that shoots flames out of the top of it.
1: Yeah. Just
0: like shredding guitar. <laughs>
1: yeah. And he's on a bunch of bungee cords.
0: It's fucking. So dumb. he can
1: sort of jump out and he gets and he, and he swings around and um, he's basically there to be like the live soundtrack of them like kicking ass. Oh my God. On I the mean, road. Like just top speed, all these kind of tricked out, insane vehicles. And you have all this rich character dynamic stuff going on too. Uh, you know, especially in a, in a growing, begrudging. Um, alliance between Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, who literally almost killed each other on the set of this film. I mean, they fucking hated each other.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, it was bad, and it was because of Tom Hardy.
0: Well, don't they kind of hate each other in the beginning of this flick anyways? And they
1: hated each other in real life. Where <laughs> it was like a scene like, you know, he was b- being in character and being morose, and he wouldn't come out and shoot, and he wouldn't talk with anyone, and you know. Eventually, Sh- Charlize Theron had to be like, you know what, like, I'm a fucking Oscar-winning actress. My movies make a fucking fortune. Like you're lucky I'm in this. Like get this guy <laughs> under control or I'm out. You know, and um and it worked to an extent. So there are all kinds of handlers brought in. Turmoil behind the scenes. I did not know. That. Were you reading a book? I'm reading a book about it right now. It's called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome: The Making of Mad Max: Fury Road, which is good for you fans of the film out there. It's a really excellent oral history. And even Hardy, looking back on it, is like I was very difficult. I think him and Sharon have since uh, Theron have since buried the hatchet. Fuck yeah. But she was the she was sort of the face of the movie. Um, and it was, was so beloved that there is a, actually going to be a prequel. There's a prequel that's probably about to wrap shooting right now called Furiosa, where the official girlfriend of the Good Pals podcast, Anya Taylor-Joy, will be playing Furiosa. How do you feel about that?
0: Um, she can do no wrong. You're here for it. Oh yeah Yeah, Furiosa guys with Anya Taylor-Joy I think coming in maybe, maybe 2025 Let's hope it's I think, 20 I think it's a 2024 release Oh,
1: that's good news <laughs> Good news for the good pals today, you know well, I don't have a case of the monies today, man I feel pretty good
0: Yeah Are you okay? I'm good, I'm great I, uh, I'm i a little upset we lost an episode But I slept on it and I'm having fun right now You took the tragedy
1: of the episode Of the power outage last night, very tough
0: I did, I did But, um... but now,
1: what, now what happened? Why did you do that to yourself?
0: I, I expect perfection.
1: Well, we, you know, <laughs> we'll never achieve perfection, but, you know, we do a great job on this. And I know. I thought it was a pretty good episode that we had going, you know, and it sucks. But look at us here. We're sitting here doing it again.
0: I know. And you it's know? Even, it's actually, we've found our flow. I forgot about it. This is it... how we do, Stevens, you know? I know.
1: know. Wow. That's, you know, that's why it's us, man.
0: We found, uh, we find the, uh, the silver lining or the, uh...
1: Yeah. And I think, and, and I think we're gonna, we're gonna go out on a lighthearted note. Yeah, exactly. Or some lighthearted note, because... This genre is not all doom and gloom, and there's a couple films that exemplify that.
0: Yeah, there's uh, several several movies in, um, that kind of spin this morbid reality into something hilarious. Yes. And um, one of my favorites, Maddie said, uh, you know, back when he used to enjoy marijuana and sitting and light a joint and watch a movie, Ooh. I have... I probably have smoked more weed and watched this movie more times than any movie I've ever seen, and this is uh. It's so
1: interesting to me. I've never seen you high. I I don't think in my life. You know, I think (laughs) you went through that phase young. Oh my god! I mean, all these we've been working together for. I mean, shit, like what six years? You know.
0: Yeah, but you know. But you were just uh, you were middle school Zach loved reefer.
1: You got that bad. You got that bad. The bad kid out of you early.
0: I wouldn't say that. You know. That's a bad thing, but no, it's sure. a good.
1: It's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great.
0: But the movie we're talking about is a zombie land *Zombieland*. *Zombieland*, which I think has, you know, it's great. Its grade of rewatchability is an A plus, possibly an S. For isn't S better than A plus well, on some reports? Are. I think
1: S is satisfactory, bud.
0: I got a lot of those Maybe. <laughs> A plus is
1: A plus is better than Satisfactory
0: Alright alright A plus On the rewatchability scale And I uh, um, fucking love Zombieland
1: Zombieland fucking rocks Yeah
0: <laughs> I'm so pumped
1: <laughs> So I too Got extremely high And went to see this movie With a couple of friends of mine uh, Lindsay and Chelsea who, Oh nice uh, Yeah And uh, we had so much fun At the movie scene We were like hype afterwards Like that was awesome It's so awesome Yeah it's a, ri- <laughs> it's a ride movie You know it's a total ride movie And, uh, and doing no small part To the cast
0: no, I mean, just our four main characters that yes. we get to hang out with through the flick are awesome. We have Jesse Eisenberg playing Columbus. We have Woody Harrelson playing Tallahassee. Emma Stone playing Wichita. And Abigail Breslin playing Little Rock.
1: Emma Stone. I love Emma,
0: Emma Stone. Emma Stone can do no wrong, man. She's great. She's fucking awesome, in man. Everything.
1: everything. Um, you know, I saw her first in Superman, and I remember her really sticking out in that movie. I was being like, oh, this girl's cool. Like, really cool. And uh, she's cool in Zombieland, but... Everyone's calling cool Zombieland. What's the deal with Zombieland, buddy?
0: So unlike a lot of these zombie and post-apocalyptic flicks that we've named, um, our lead Jesse Eisenberg does not
1: kick ass. He's like Woody he's Allen. A, yeah, he's kind he's of a, a little a, nebbish.
0: He's a little, little, little puss. Yeah, and um, a
1: ball of neuroses.
0: Yeah, and um, basically the movie starts with a uh, our lead Jesse kind of talking about his life, and let's just say Jesse has a really tough time. Picking up the ladies, yeah. And um, one night after gaming for hours and drinking <laughs> ma- drinking Mountain Dew, Code Red, like many men do, um, a woman basically falls into his lap. Amber Heard, uh, character, her, they call her Four Oh Six, I guess, just by a number in this. Yeah, she uh, knocks on the door and says, "A man is chasing me, bit me, blah 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 blah," and uh, right, kind of uh, falls into his lap. And Jesse Eisenberg is just like, cannot believe that a woman is here to hang with him. Sure. And um, quickly we find out his first uh, cuddle session well, with the uh, wakes
1: He wakes up in the morning and he discovers that Amber Heard has taken a poop in his bed, like she did to Johnny <laughs> No, no, no,
0: no. It's worse than that, actually. No, it's worse than that. She's a cool, <laughs> blown zombie, and the first girl to look at our beloved Columbus in years, he now has to kill. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think he waxed her over the head with maybe a pot or something. Yeah,
1: or was it a, a fireplace poker or something like that? Something like that. But well, uh, yeah, she's Amber's got to go.
0: And then um, yeah, so now Jesse is on a uh, full length scale to see if his parents have survived in a road like, movie, Columbus, Ohio. And who does he run into? Woody Harrelson. And what is Woody Harrelson after? Twinkies. Twinkies Twinkies and revenge.
1: <laughs> Twinkies and. Revenge.
0: Twinkies and revenge.
1: Uh, Tallahassee is angry dude, but he's cool. But he's kind of a no nonsense thing, and um, oh, you know where we are, Stevens. Is this is the precise moment during last night's recording where we lost power. I know because I wanted to talk about the emotional heft of Tallahassee's real story. Yeah, and he has lots of flashbacks where he talks about his dog or puppy, right? Yeah, and is it like a little golden retriever puppy or whatever it is? And as the movie goes on. I think towards the end, the flashback scene happens where he's not really
0: talking about his puppy. Talking about a daughter he lost. He
1: was talking about a daughter that he lost, which is kind of you know the worst thing that any parent can ever go through. And is the source. Of his rage and anger But We talk about family A lot on here Right Yeah In movies like that, Family's a great element In these films And, and bonds And uh, non-traditional Family bonds And uh, these guys Meet up with a couple gals And they form a little Nuclear family unit And that's Abigail Breslin And, uh, and Emma Stone
0: Yes As the aforementioned What are their uh, What are their zombie names uh, Emma Stone is Wichita And uh, Abigail Breslin Is Little Rock They
1: all call each other By their
0: hometowns Which is like a cool Little wrinkle
1: Yeah Um. Zombieland has fat zombies. It yeah, has it wildly creative kills and a
0: scary fucking clown.
1: Yeah. And a scary clown. Uh, great F- finale and amusement park. Great place for a final showdown. Uh, one of the things I like about zombie land is the captioning in the film.
0: Oh, it almost has like this comic book esque kind yeah, of it's, editing. Like
1: a three, a little three dimensional, like when he goes, uh, you know, um, Eisenberg goes with the rules of zombie killing or yeah. the
0: rules of survival. Um, For, you know, to get through a zombie apocalypse. Which I've had friends reference years after that movie came out.
1: Shoot him in the head is one, right?
0: Well, one of them's like... Always double tap.
1: The double tap, yeah. Make yeah. sure that
0: zombie's down. And one of them's always wear your seatbelt. Oh, no, rule number one is cardio. <laughs> <That Yeah>. seat, <laughs> running in circles around a fucking and Jesse Eisenberg shares it's like fuck oh fuck oh fuck yeah yeah
1: so and and the, and a lot of movies have sort of tried to use that device to I think to, to mix results.
0: Beware of bathrooms. I love it.
1: Yeah, sometimes they'll take me. Sometimes they'll take me out of a, in a movie in Zombieland. It's it's perfectly placed and uh and it's really funny. Yeah, but. In order for Zombieland to run, Shaun of the Dead had to walk. It did. Yes. So,
0: Shaun of the Dead is our first
1: zombie comedy, maybe, of all time, or amongst them. There might be more obscure ones. I'm sure there are ones that I'm not thinking of.
0: I mean, this one. Crushed, but Shaun of though. the Dead
1: came out right in the thick of the zombie renaissance um, when it happened around the time of Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later. Yeah. This movie comes up. Um, As stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, uh, who are known for making a lot of films with the great writer-director, Edgar Wright, who is a genre homagist of the highest order. Mm -hmm. This guy, Edgar Wright, probably around my age, watched MTV and HBO and Saturday afternoon horror movies like his whole life. And he has made several films that pay tribute to him. Shaun of the Dead, the horror one, Hot Fuzz. Um, The cop movie That's like his lethal weapon You know, kind of thing Yeah, yeah, yeah Um, Well, The World's End Was sort of like a robot thriller
0: It's kind of his alien Yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. all all
1: great films But it all started with Shaun of the Dead And this is a (laughs) spot-on Parody
0: Is that your English? Yeah, that was my Michael Caine Spot-on
1: That was my Michael Caine
0: Spot-on, that.
1: (laughs) Spot-on Okay These guys are great Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost Are funny Um and it's just, you know, it's London and it's a zombie breakout.
0: And it's so fucking good. And honestly, I actually had a viewing of this with a friend about a month ago. I didn't realize it's it's shot beautifully too. Like there's a there's a <laughs> There's a lot of um there's a lot of uh sequential shots. Like the shot happens before the breakout of zombies and the shot happens again. And what's funny is there are our callbacks. Yeah, a lot of callbacks, and our main two characters, uh Sean and Ed, they're very aloof. Yeah. Guys, wouldn't you say so there's a scene where yeah, he's like, very he's walking into the corner store that he goes to every day to get I think a coffee or something and he doesn't even realize there's zombies behind him <laughs> Edgar Wright makes it a point to show
1: a lot of people particularly Sean just sort of ambling about through their day you know just they're sort of automatons time they're stuck in the flow of life you know dead end job girl problems relationship problems ain't got no money ain't got no weed you know just sort of roaming around and so that for that reason, when the zombies are start, you know, roaming around slow zombies, by the way, interesting choice. Which by Edgar in this Wright.
0: flick are perfectly used This one, it's funny. You yeah.
1: Know I mean, Sean I and the dead would be five minutes long if the zombies were fast <laughs>
0: yeah. because Sean and Ed would just be devoured. Oh My God would just be devoured immediately. But think-
1: in, in most zombie movies, get, make sure my parents are alive. Um, get to the highway. What do these guys want to do?
0: They want to get to the pub.
1: Let's get to the Winchester. The Winchester. Yeah, the pub that they hang out at
0: every day. But before that, I have to stop you. We've talked about a lot of weapons killing zombies. Vinyl. We've talked about guns. We've talked about melee weapons. But these two it, <laughs> dumbasses <laughs> throw their record collection yes. vinyls at the zombie's well, head. Well, they don't throw their whole record collection at the yeah, zombie's he goes, head. He goes, shall die.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, Purple Rain is, like, next, right? Like, don't yeah, throw exactly. Purple He's Rain. Yeah, like, don't throw Purple Rain. Yeah, <laughs> but it gives them a chance to trash a couple. Trash a couple. These guys love their records. Yeah, they listen to that Electro record and Red Robot Dance. And that's kind of, those are, like, killer breakbeats, too. Like, they have good stuff. Like, it's good music in that movie, for sure. The first place I ever heard the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now. No way. Was not Shaun of the Dead. Well, this was a long time ago, Stevens. You were just a little baby.
0: That's true.
1: I don't even know if you were born when this movie came out.
0: What year did it come out? Two thousand four. I was four.
1: Wow. Yeah, just a wee lad. Yeah. So I loved, uh, I loved, Shaun of the Dead. It's definitely a cult film.
0: Yeah, and this movie is another low budget horror flick that uh, crushed at the box office.
1: It did. What was it? Uh, what was it made for? Was it made on the cheap?
0: Yeah, six six million, and then uh, ended up grossing thirty million. Um, I, maybe is that in the.
1: That's pretty good, and then goes on to live a long life yeah. in repertory film and a cable staple uh, and a TV staple. Shaun of the Dead is what they call a rewatchable, an essential rewatchable, right? Yeah. Like if you are going about your day and Shaun of the Dead's on TV, guess what? You're
0: gonna Don't watch make any plans
1: it. for now? You're gonna watch the Rest of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, uh, it's a zombie movie we love and a very funny one. Yes. Um, Anything
0: you feel like we left out that the uh, people commented
1: and. I mean, we got a couple of suggestions, nothing that I did, like, major um, homework on. I think, it would, like, uh, my buddy Dave Hatfield, uh, we used to call him the horror master. He worked at Blockbuster. Well, we went to Pitt, but he worked part-time at Blockbuster, which was, of course, the coolest thing in the world at the time. And uh, he's a horror, sci-fi um, specialist, pop culture specialist overall. wanted me to mention a movie called Night of the Comet from 1984, which is a quintessential 80s movie, um, and it's about a, and it's a female it's female led your heroes your protagonists are females and uh what i believe is, um is her name Catherine Mary
0: Smith um
1: Catherine Mary Smith is that correct
0: I'm not seeing a Catherine Mary Smith she's the lead who's the lead in this movie uh Regina Belmont no oh sorry sorry Catherine Mary Stewart Catherine sorry, Mary Stewart Regina Belmont's her character's name, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, Catherine Mary Stewart. She's of the three named um, 80s females, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sarah Jessica Parker. But some of us have forgotten Catherine Mary Stewart. I have not forgotten Catherine Mary Stewart because she is the lead of Night of the Comet. Um, look at the vibe of this movie, Stephen, as we're watching through it here. They're, they're sort of like mall chicks, but they sort of have some real problems. They give the characters some depth.
0: I miss this look.
1: And these girls, of course, are trying to avoid atomic zombies. And they go to the government for help, and the government immediately abducts them and starts to experiment on them. So once again, human, the true monster, you know? Yeah. But these girls got a rough road. Um, There's some romance. There's some 80s music. Um, It's a really good, atmospheric, absolutely cult picture that I watched on HBO hundreds of times when I was a kid. Night of the Comet. Um, Sort of set the—it's one of those blueprint movies, like Escape from New York. That I think uh, you know deserve to uh, deserve to be acknowledged. We want to say a little something about Wall-E. We got a nice message from our pal John Lively about saying he recently watched Wall-E with his daughter and forgot about the existential dread that he was going to experience watching <laughs> that film.
0: I mean, yeah, Wall-E's a, a beautiful Pixar flick. Some of my friends' favorite flick, and I mean, that's a I mean, that's a lighthearted a post apocalyptic flick. I mean, it doesn't so
1: yeah, somewhat, but it's got a, it's got some heavy messages to it. Yeah, for sure. Are we turning into the beings that are in Wally with like the screens in front of their faces, that are just stuffing? But what do the people eat? Like they just are just,
0: yeah, they just like float around on these floating chairs and eat what's in front of them, and then don't care about how the floating
1: them. chair is like a screen. Is it? Do they have a screen in front of them or
0: something to that effect? Yeah. it's been a while since I've seen it, but all I know is humans have become become space pigs, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Wally is on Earth and he has found a plant.
1: Yeah, a little plant. So what's, and, and so what's, I forget the, the continuing narrative of that film. Uh, I saw it once when it came out. And I really do remember thinking it was great. So many movies I need to revisit that I think this podcast is helping me like remember.
0: Well, we'll definitely have a Pixar episode at some point. Yeah. And crush all those out, you know, yeah. or hash those out rather.
1: I agree. I agree. Next time there's a big Pixar release, like a major, a major one, we'll, uh, we'll have to go through them because we can talk about the Incredibles. Yeah. Which I've been wanting to do for a long time and plenty of other ones too. But Wally definitely post apocalyptic, and uh, you actually mentioned that when we we're when we were playing in the pod.
0: Yeah, it's uh, my buddy Ben Huey's uh, favorite Pixar flip.
1: So yeah, apparently popular with some of our listeners. Ben and uh, and Johnny Lively, um, thanks for hitting us up and making the suggestions. And we want you guys to keep doing it, keep listening. And uh, another favorite, I've been seeing some ratings and reviews. Whether you're on Spotify listening to us or you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you dig the show, please drop a review. Any amount of stars is fair that you feel like, but we sure do like five. We do. Five stars is nice. And even a kind word about us. Uh, We have a listener who I believe lives down the hall from the Lab on Lagoon here who said, whoever these guys are, they sound like they must be really handsome. (laughs) So thank you, 201, for that. Uh, Thank you, 201, for that shout out. We appreciate you listening. Uh, We appreciate all of you guys listening. Guys, tell your friends about this um it's you know it's had it's got a surprising amount of momentum i knew it was going to be a cool thing but uh you guys are really enjoying it and we're so god we're so fucking happy that uh that you guys like it because we're going to keep on doing it at the moment we don't have a theme for episode five of the good pals podcast i'm going to put a post up about today and if you guys want to give us some suggestions about some stuff you'd like to see covered um give us some because we're open to ideas uh the movie release schedule is looking a little bit tight there's not as, whole, as much stuff coming up. We do have a little surprise maybe coming up for you soon. And that's all I'll say about that at the moment. But uh, we're looking for some ideas. And maybe if you want to volunteer yourself as an expert on a certain genre or film that we are into talking about, we'd love to have people on the show, too. We had Sarah Joey Clemens on last week. You guys all loved her. And you wanted to come back. And I think she's going to be back, Stevens. Would you agree?
0: Um yeah more than once yeah
1: yeah you so
0: you'll be seeing more of sarah joey on the sarah show Sarah joey is a friend of the show
1: yeah she's a good pal and uh you guys are good pals zach is my good pal and i'm matt and i'm your host i appreciate you guys listening and uh we'll see you next monday